0: Chapter 86 of The Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox According. All LibriVox Accordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Headless Horseman, A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter 86. A Texan Court. It is the dawn of another day, the aurora, rising rose-colored from the waves of a West Indian sea, flings its sweetest smile athwart the savannahs of texas almost on the same instant that the rosy light kisses the white sand dunes of the mexican gulf does it salute the flag on four inch nearly a hundred leagues distant since there is just this much of an upward inclination between the coast of matagorda and the spurs of the guadalupe mountains near which stand this frontier post the aurora has just lightened up the flag, that at the same time, floating out from its staff, spreads its broad field of red, white, and blue to the gentle zephyres of the morning. Perhaps never since that staff went up has the star-spangled banner waved over a scene of more intense interest than is expected to occur on this very day. Even at the early hour of dawn, the spectacle may be said to have commenced. Along with the first rays of the aurora, Horsemen may be seen approaching the military posts from all quarters of the compass. They ride up in squads of two, three, or half a dozen. Dismount as they arrive, fasten their horses to the stockade fences, or picket them upon the open prairie. This done, they gather into groups on the parade ground, stand conversing or stray down to the village, all at one time or another taking a turn to the tavern and paying their resorts to Boniface behind the bar. The men thus assembling are of very distinct types and nationalities. Almost every country in Europe has furnished its quota, though the majority are of that stalwart race whose ancestors expelled the Indians from the bloody ground, built log cabins on the sites of their wigwams, and spent the remainder of their lives in felling the forests of the Mississippi. Some of them have been brought up to the cultivation of corn, others understand better the culture of cotton while a large number from the homes further south have migrated into texas to speculate in the growth and manufacture of sugar and tobacco most are planters by calling and inclination though there are grazers and cattle dealers hunters and horse dealers storekeepers and traders of other kinds not a few of them traffickers in human flesh There are lawyers, land-surveyors, and land-speculators, and other speculators of no-proclaimed calling adventurers ready to take a hand in whatever may turn up—whether it be the branding of cattle, a scout against Comanches, or a spell of filibustering across the Rio Grande—their costumes are as varied as their callings—they have been already described. For the men now gathering around Fort Inge are the same we have seen before assembled in the courtyard of Casa del Corvo, the same with an augmentation of numbers. The present assemblage differs in another respect from that composing the expedition of searchers. It is graced by the presence of women, the wives, sisters, and daughters of the men. Some are on horseback, and remain in the saddle, their curtain cotton bonnets, standing their fair faces from the glare of the sun. Others are still more commodiously placed for the spectacle, seated under white wagon-tilts or beneath the more elegant coverings of carrioles and jerseys. There is a spectacle, at least there is one looked for. It is a trial long talked of in the settlement. Superfluous to say that it is the trial of Maurice Girald, known as Maurice the Mustanger, equally idle to add that it is for the murder of Henry Poindexter, it is not the high nature of the offence that it has attracted such a crowd, nor yet the characters of either the accused or his victim, neither much known in the neighbourhood. The same court, it is the supreme court of the district, Ulvalde has been in session there before, has tried all sorts of cases, and all kinds of men, thieves, swindlers, homicides, and even murderers, with scarce fourscore people caring to be spectators of the trial or staying to hear the sentence it is not this which has brought so many settlers together but a series of strange circumstances mysterious and melodramatic which seem in some way to be connected with the crime and have been for days the sole talk of the settlement it is not necessary to name these circumstances they are already known all present at fort Ange have come there anticipating that the trial about to take place will throw light on the strange problem that has hitherto defied solution of course there are some who independent of this having a feeling of interest in the fate of the prisoner there are others inspired with a still sadder interest friends and relatives of the man supposed to have been murdered for it must be remembered that there is yet no evidence of the actuality of the crime but there is little doubt entertained of it several circumstances independent of each other have united to confirm it and all believe that the foul deed has been done as firmly as if they had been i witnesses of the act they only wait to be told the details to learn the how and the when and the wherefore ten o'clock and the court is in session there is not much chance in the composition of the crowd only that a sprinkling of military uniforms has become mixed with the more sober dresses of the citizens The soldiers of the garrison have been dismissed from morning parade, and free to take their recreation for the day, have sought it among the ranks of the civilian spectators. There stand they side by side, soldiers and citizens, dragoons, riflemen, infantry, and artillery, interspersed among planters, hunters, horse-dealers, and desperate adventurers, having just heard the oh-yes of the court-crier, grotesquely pronounced, Oh, yes, determined to stand there till they hear the last solemn formulary from the lips of the judge. May God have mercy on your soul. There is scarce one present who does not expect ere night to listen to this terrible final phrase, spoken from under the shadow of that sable cap. That denotes the death, doom of a fellow creature. There may be only a few who wish it, but there are many who feel certain that the trial will end in a conviction, and that ere the sun has set, the soul of Marie Serelde will go back to its god. The Court is in session. You have, before your mind's eye, a large hall, with a raised dais at one side, a space enclosed between penelled partitions, a table inside it, and on its edge a box-like structure, resembling the rostrum of a lecture room, or the reading desk in a church. You see, judges, in ermine robes, barristers in wigs of grey, and gowns of black, with solicitors attending on them, clerks, ushers, and reporters, blue policemen with bright buttons standing here and there, and at the back a sea of heads and faces, not always kept or clean. You observe, moreover, a certain subdued look on the countenances of the spectators, not so much an air of decorum. As a fear of infringing the regulations of the court, you must get all this out of your mind if you wish to form an idea of a court of justice on the frontiers of texas as unlike its homonym in england as a bond of guerrillas to a brigade of guardsmen there is no courthouse although there is a sort of public room used for this and other purposes but the day promises to be hot and the court has decided to sit under a tree and under a tree has it established itself a gigantic live oak festooned with spanish moss standing by the edge of the parade ground and extending its shadow afar over the verdant prairie a large steel table is placed underneath with half a score of skin bottom chairs set around it and on its top a few scattered sheets of foolscap paper an inkstand with goose quill pens a well-thumbed law book or two a blown glass decanter containing peach brandy a couple of common tumblers a box of Havana cigars, and another of Lucifer matches. Behind these paraphernalia sits the judge, not only unrobed in ermine, but actually uncoated, the temperature of the day having decided him to try the case in his shirt-sleeves. Instead of a wig, he wears his Panama hat, set slouchingly over one cheek, to balance the half-smoked, half-chewed Havana projecting from the other. The remaining chairs are occupied by men whose costume gives no indication of their calling. There are lawyers among them, attorneys and counselors. They are called, with no difference either in social or legal status, the sheriff and his deputy, the military commandant of the fort, the chaplain, the doctor, several officers, with one or two men of undeclared occupations. A little apart are twelve individuals grouped together, about half of them seated on a rough slab bench, the other half squatted or reclining along the grass it is the jury an institution as germane to texas as to england and in texas ten times more true to its trust scorning to submit to the dictation of the judge in england but too freely admitted around the texan judge and jury close pressing upon the precincts of the court is a crowd that may well be called nondescript buckskin hunting shirts Blanket coats, even under the oppressive heat, frocks of coparas stripe, and Kentucky jeans, blouses of white linen or sky-blue cottonade, shirts of red flannel or unbleached domestic dragon, rifle, infantry, and artillery uniforms blend and mingle in that motley assemblage. here and there is seen a more regular costume, one more native to the country, the jaqueta and the Calzoneros of the Mexican with the broad sombrero shading its swarthy face of piquarsque expression the time was and that not very long ago when men assembled in this same spot would all have been so attired but then there was no jury of twelve and the judge jus de latras was a far more important personage with death in his nod and pardon easily obtained by those who could put asnas in his pocket with all its rude irregularity despite the absence of effet forms of white ermine and black silk of uniformed alguazils or bright-button policemen despite the presence of men that to the civilized eye may appear unclothed, even savage i hesitate not to say that among these red flannel shirts and coats of kentucky jean the innocent man is as safe ay far safer to obtain justice and the guilty to get punished than amidst the formalities and hair-splitting, check of our so-called civilization. Do not mistake those men assembled under the Texan tree. However rough their exterior may seem to your hypocritical eye, do not mistake them for a mob of your own masses, brutalized from their very birth by the curse of over-taxation. Do not mistake them, either for things like yourselves, filled to the throat with a spirit of flunkyism, Would that it choked you, scorning all that is grand and progressive, revering only the effect, the superficial and the selfish. I am talking to you, my middle-class friend, who fancy yourself a citizen of this our English country, a citizen forsooth, without even the first and scantiest right of citizenship, that of choosing your parliamentary representative. You fancy you have this right. I have scarce patience to tell you you are mistaken. I grandly mistaken, when you imagine yourself standing on the same political platform with those quasi-rude frontiersmen of Texas, nothing of the kind, they are sovereign citizens, the peers of your superiors, or of those who assume, so to call themselves, and whose assumption you are base enough to permit without struggle, almost without protest. In most assemblies, the inner circle is the more select. The gem is to be found in the center at Port Inge, in that now mustered the order is reversed outside is the elegance the fair feminine forms bedecked in their best dresses stand up in spring wagons or sit in more elegant equipages sufficiently elevated to see over the heads of the male spectators it is not upon the judge that their eyes are bent or only at intervals their glances are given to a group of three men placed near the jury and not very far from the stem of the tree one is seated and two standing the former is the prisoner at the bar the latter the sheriff's officers in change of him it was originally intended to try several other men for the murder miguel diaz is an associate as also Phelim o'neil but in the course of a preliminary investigation the mexican mustanger succeeded in proving an alibi as did also his trio of companions all four have been consequently discharged they acknowledged having disguised themselves as indians For the fact being proved home to them, they could not do less, but they pretended it to have been a joke, a travesty, and as there was proof of the others being at home, and Diaz dead drunk, on the night of Henry Point Dexter's disappearance, their statement satisfied those who had been entrusted with the inquiry. As to the Connemara man, it was not thought necessary to put him upon trial. If an accomplice, he could only have acted at the investigation of his master and he might prove more serviceable to the witness-box than in the dock. Before the bar, then, if we may be permitted, the figure of speech, there stands but one prisoner, Maurice Girald, known to those gazing upon him as Maurice the Mustanger. End of chapter 86